0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Minds that blood destruction, sorcerer of death construction, in the fields of bodies burning. War machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwash mind. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the national community radio satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can access the pod, you can access the program via my Facebook page, Joseph Toscana. You can access the, uh, program via Instagram. You can access, it just goes on and on. It's like a disease. It's everywhere. It's like anarchy. Everywhere. Do you wonder what anarchy is all about? Anarchos without rulers. Let's go back to first principles. Let's pretend we're back in primary school. We know that 1 and 1 equals 2, although some of us thought it equaled 11 when we started. Anarchos without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Very simple. Inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, which is a fancy word for share, and it's the struggle to hold wealth in common to ensure people's human needs are met. And obviously, during the last four decades, especially in this country, we've seen wealth done something that it's never done before. It's defied gravity. It's gone upwards. So if you're involved in the struggle to share power, devolve power, break down hierarchy, and the struggle to hold wealth in common for the common good, I've got some bad news for you. You're anarchist. Whether you admit it or not, you could be waking up and screaming at 2 o'clock in the morning saying, didn't know I had the anarchy virus. If you think COVID-19 is a problem, once you've got the anarchy virus, you can't be stopped. There's no vaccination. Euthanasia is the only way to stop it. Okay, let's move on. Let's get serious. Now, I love the coalition government. I have been around long enough to look at their re-election manual. And they use the same old re-election manual, but they change. They change the enemy, and it's all about creating fear. Elections in this country are not won and lost on the uh, regarding policy. They've never been won and lost on policy. It's about using the legacy media and the so-called social media to promote. Their ideology of private investment for private profit And it's all about fear Let's look at the last few federal elections Last federal election was fear about franking credits Even people without shares were frightened of losing their franking credits Pensioners were frightened of losing franking credits Obviously pensioners, well some have shares but most don't have shares Think about it. It was all about fear. Now, the election before that, what did we have? Oh, yes, the old perennial asylum seekers and refugees. They're going to overrun the country. Let's not forget it was the Liberal National Party Coalition through temporary work visas, which has allowed over 1.7 million people pre-COVID to come into the country to act as competition For Australian workers I don't blame those On temporary protection visas They're just following the law But governments are the ones That allow this policy to occur Then we have the old Tampa Brigade Remember the Tampa Brigade You know those of you Who are old enough Will remember the Tampa And the fear That we were going to be overrun And before that Wow Remember the Yellow Hordes remember the yellow hordes, Vietnam, the domino theory, the communists was going to flow out of China, through Vietnam, down past Singapore, through New Guinea, Indonesia, and hey, presto, you'd wake up and there'd be an Australian communist flag. So it was all about fear. And it's a very, very, very effective re-election manual. And I'm quite concerned that the Morrison-led government, an inane government, an insecure government, and a government that hasn't got one original idea apart from laying on hands on people, but we'll talk about that another day, is now gearing up for the next federal election which should be held before May next year, that's 2022. Now they wanted to go early because they wanted to go early on the COVID-19, you know, a roller coaster ride like, uh, you know, most of the state governments have, but no, because of the Scandals regarding their attitudes to um, sexual assault They've had to put it down a bit So who do you think are we going to use to beat the drums of war? Hmm? It's not the Chinese Communist Party It's the Yellow Peril Not the Yellow Peril that's been removed from the Melbourne CBD And put out in the you know, near the art gallery. It's not that yellow peril, but the yellow peril, the yellow hordes. Now, I have been amazed at how effective this re-election strategy is. Look, I I mix with a lot of people, a lot of different types of people. People in power, people who are dispossessed, people who are marginalised, People are just doing their bloody jobs And trying to pay their mortgage And the type of work I do You mix with a lot of people And I have been amazed By the number of people Which have been captured By the propaganda Which has been pumped out On a daily basis By the coalition government Regarding fear of the Chinese Not the Chinese Communist Party Although they like to talk about The Chinese Communist Party But they've scratched that deep growing fear of the yellow hordes coming down and taking over the country and we've seen the government been involved in a particularly dangerous foreign, foreign intervention which is beginning to have impacts on this country's economic future and we've seen that through the passage of legislation through statements by ministers as well as the Prime Minister, which are designed, and this is the important thing to remember, they are designed to create fear in the community about China. And it's a very effective propaganda tool. They would like to see the next federal election not be held about policy, but about fear. They don't want the federal election to be held on the basis of doing something about the almost 1 million children living in poverty in this country. They don't want the next federal election to be held about the increasing gap between the rich and the poor. They don't want the next federal election to be held regarding the current housing crisis and how people are paying extraordinary amounts of their income to keep a roof over their heads, whether they're paying rent or trying to pay off a mortgage. They don't want the next federal election revolve around us asking questions about why should our resources be put in the hands of transnational corporations who are making billions of dollars of profit while we don't seem to have the resources to take care of the most basic needs where we have a private charity the Smith family asking, begging Australians to give them money to sponsor Australian children to get a public education which is supposed to be three They don't want us to have the next federal election about the apartheid system that exists between private schools and public school students in this country. They don't want the next federal election to be held regarding, you know, asylum seekers and refugees, the way, the abysmal way they've been treated by this government and continue to be treated by this government and the opposition in this country. They don't want the next federal election to be held about increasing taxes for, you know, those that are making extraordinary amounts of money from the COVID-19 crisis. They want this next federal election to be held about fear of China, fear of war. And when you get a senior bureaucrat beating the drums of war on Anzac Day of all days – a day's which is designed to remember the dead and the wounded and the sacrifices made by people, using that day to promote the concept of war, death, destruction, as if war in the 21st century is going to be a pleasant affair. They don't want us. St- so, I suggest very strongly that you start speaking out about this election strategy. If you want change to occur in this society, if you want people to take First Nations people's issues seriously, deaf in custody, treaty, compensation, and the list goes on and on. If you want women to receive equal wages and equal respect, if you want any of these Policies to be part and parcel of the federal election campaign I encourage you, implore you That's right, implore you To fight back against this strategy Because if this strategy is successful And currently it is exceptionally successful Especially with the COVID-19 crisis And the finger constantly being pointed at China you know, exceptionally powerful strategy, we will see the coalition government re-elected with an increased majority. That's right. Re-elected with an increased majority and possibly ease of a majority in the Senate. Because if there's one thing that history has taught us is that federal elections which are based on the generation of fear, whether it's the fear of the unemployed, the marginalised, the Muslim, the asylum seeker, you know, First Nations, Australians and the list goes on and on. Those campaigns tap into a vein which is a very rich ore in this country. Very rich mining. And it's people like you and me that need to be aware of what is happening now because what happens at the next federal election will be revolve about what is happening now and what are the issues which will be carried by the government of the day, the opposition and the media, the legacy media and the virtual media as we approach the next federal election. And if you think... I'm talking through my anal canal. I suggest you look at the last 10 federal elections and see how they were conducted and see how the coalition was able to win the unwinnable election. Think about it. You listen to the Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano, I'm hosting today's program. Uh, If you're interested in, uh, you know, um, resistance, that's right, resistance to the status quo, if you don't want to be uh, overrun or drowning in a tsunami of anti-Chinese rhetoric, which is designed primarily for the coalition's re-election, well then I suggest that you think very strongly, if you're not a member of a registered political party, of joining Public Interest before Corporate Interest. The website is an exceptionally good website, not that I have anything to do with it, that's the website, although I am the registered officer of Public Interest before Corporate Interest. Now, Public Interest before Corporate Interest was established about four years ago. Our aim is to be involved in a number of activities, which include community boycotts, strikes, occupations, list goes on and on. But unlike many radical groups, we are interested in radical politics. We are interested in parliamentary politics. Not because we think, you know, we can, we will be elected. But we think by having political parties or political groups involved in the federal election, which march to a different drumbeat. Not the drumbeats of war, the drumbeats of in- independence, the bu- drumbeat of holding our resources for using our resources for our benefit, not the benefit of our investors, both local and overseas. If you're interested we want to change that debate. We want to change that debate. And as I said last week, it's about the way people think. And if you can change the way people think, things will never be the same. People will never be sucked in to the fear campaigns that the coalition is an expert at drumming up in order to be re-elected ad nauseam. So fear. Fear is their calling card. They want you to be coward. They want you to be frightened. They want you to be scared. They want you to be worried about this enemy out there somewhere in the ether so that they can be re-elected. Think about it. Now, if you go to the Pipsi website, you can download the application form, pipc.net. We currently have over 450 members. We need about another 100 members before we can apply for registration as a federal political party. If we don't obtain those members within the next three months, we'll basically run out of time to register as a f- federal political party. So, the wolf's at the door. We need to move quickly. If you have no access to the computer or you've got no printer to print out an application form, you can always leave me a message on 0439 395 489. Or you can write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. If you go to the website, there's a, a very under uh, news and views. There's a very, there very nice little uh, button for uh, members resource material. And, uh, that's you, whether you're a member or not. And uh, if you print that out, you can distribute that among your friends and enemies. And, uh, possibly you'll be able to register as a federal political party and, uh, fight to change the direction that this country is currently moving in. Let's move on. Sometimes I hear things which I find I'm incredulous. Well, I'm incredulous every day, but sometimes I'm so incredulous I just fall on the wall, fall on the floor, not on the wall, and start, you know, fitting. Now I heard some minister, and now I, f- I knew it was male, because I had re- the voice, but I can't remember the name. I think it was Minister for Employment. Or so. I don't know who it was. And he made this very, very important point. Well, he thinks it's important. You see, currently, Australian businesses are having trouble employing people, although unemployment rate is nudging 6% and the real unemployment rate, obviously, and underemployment rate is nudging 20%. And if you travel a bit like I do, you'll notice there are little signs coming up on shop windows saying vacancies, please apply, blah, blah, blah. And this minister said, how... Have we arrived at this point that Australians are not willing to work? And everywhere I go, I hear the same bullshit. Australians are not willing to work. The unemployed are work shy. They don't want to work. Well, I'm going to answer that question. How have we arrived at this point where you have Unemployed people on uh, miserable social security benefits. Now that the COVID nineteen supplement has disappeared, unwilling to work. Well, unwilling. They're willing to work. They're unwilling to take the jobs that are offered. That's the key. It's not about unwillingness to work. But why won't they take up the jobs that are offered? And I hear them lamenting that we can't bring in people on temporary work visas anymore. And when we had 1.7 million people out of a workforce of 12 million on temporary work visas, we could employ people very easily. I'll tell you why. The first thing, and the major impediment to somebody on employment benefits taking an insecure part time poorly paid, non-unionised job, is the fact that you have to wait six weeks in between jobs before you can reapply for unemployment benefits I'd like the Minister who made the statement on how do we arrive at this point, or how have we arrived at this point, to forego his wages For six weeks. And see how he feels about it. Now the government could solve the problem of unemployed people being concerned about taking on part-time, part-time, poorly paid, non-unionised, insecure work. By removing that six-week gap by ensuring that people can reapply for unemployment benefits once that job has come to a screaming halt. In many regards, those jobs come to a screaming halt. And obviously, Australian citizens and residents demand much more from a job than somebody who's here on a temporary work visa who's forced to accept whatever is offered to them because they need the money and more importantly because they can't access unemployment benefits. So in many regards, they have become a pool of exploited, unskilled labour which is there to ensure the trade union movement never ever again poses any real threat to the private investment for private profit brigade. Simple, very simple issue, very simple. If you want me to take on a poorly paid, insecure, part-time job and come off a government benefit because I'm unemployed, you need to make sure that once that job comes to an end, and they do come to an end very quickly in the majority of cases, that I can reapply for unemployment benefits. I do not have to wait Six weeks to reapply. Okay, let's move on. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, I know you're bored with COVID-19, and I'm also bored with it, right? We're all bored with it. And I'll tell you why. Because we've heard it all before. Now when the COVID-19 crisis erupted almost over a year ago, on a number of occasions I did program, I did, you know, segments on this program regarding quarantine. And it's good to see that 15 months later other people in authority, not just, you know, people on the margins like you and me, but other people in authority are beginning to take notice. Now I'm not very bright. And obviously because you listened to the anarchist world this week, you're also not very bright. But even stupid people like you and me, we know, quarantine means keeping people away. Simple, isn't it? Now, if you look back historically, and it's important to look back historically, you'll note that every major port in this country during the colonial period had a quarantine station on the outskirts On the very outskirts Of the city Melbourne which I'm familiar with Had a quarantine station past Point Nepean right? And ships would dock there Offload their sick and then they'd move in To the city In order to provide some protection Now in the 21st century You'd think we have learnt some lessons from history and you would think that all those smart, intelligent people that you and I never mix with because we're not good enough to mix with them would have understood that basic premise of quarantine. Oh no. Oh no. Initially, although we were told COVID-19 was a coronavirus, which is basically a respiratory born infection, it was all about washing hands not using masks. And now we're told it's airborne, which anybody could have told you who knew what they were talking about in March last year, that obviously a coronavirus is airborne. We continue to have hotel quarantine as the major way of protecting the community from people who come in from overseas who may or may not have COVID-19 and time after time after time after time we have seen the infection break out of the so-called quarantine facilities they call them hotels CBD quarantine hotels into the community and time after time after time, the Health Minister, Mr Hunt, tells us, well, we need to be next to major medical resources unless we need them. Well, how about all those people that live in rural and regional Victoria? They're not next to major, you know, uh, medical resources. Do we put them in ghettos and put them in the Melbourne CBD and find hotel accommodation for them because they could get sick? Come on. We could have built... In the last 12 months, purpose-built quarantine centres. Purpose-built quarantine centres with the right amount of ventilation on the outskirts of this country's major cities, because remember most of the airports are on the outskirts of these countries' major cities, six months ago. As we see in Darwin, there would be no outbreaks. We could bring back people back from overseas, quarantine them in suitable accommodation, and not have them pose a threat to the general community. And if you're interested in the economy, as you know, you've got to have all these. I mean, the Chinese authorities, once the bumbling fools who are in charge of the locations where the COVID-19 first broke out, were pushed out of the way, and people realised the extent of the problem. All you've got to do is look at India to see what can happen if things get out of control, and in the United States, and England, what will happen. Well, what they did is they quarantined people. Not in the Melbourne's, not in the CBD, but quarantine them in specially built hospitals or quarantine facilities which are almost built overnight. And don't tell me that we don't have the experience or the expertise and the people or the resources to build quarantine facilities that are not based in hotels. And the whole purpose of a hotel quarantine is to save the federal government money. Now look, I don't know if you know much about the federal system, but we have, do have a federal system. And the federal government has certain responsibilities and the state governments have certain responsibilities. And if you look at the Australian Constitution, which defines the responsibilities of the federal government, and if you look at various High Court challenges which have actually occurred to, to ensure that we understand what the responsibility of the various tiers of government are, Quarantine is a Commonwealth government responsibility. The colonies, when they federated in 1901, realised the introduction of disease into the community through immigration and travel was a significant issue. And they handed over that responsibility to the Commonwealth government. In 2021, our laying-on-hands Prime Minister, you know, refuses to acknowledge that it's a Commonwealth responsibility and the Commonwealth should have acquired land, and if necessary forcefully, to build quarantine centres and staff those quarantine centres to ensure that Australians overseas could come home and that the community itself was not put in Unnecessary danger. But again, we have this ridiculous situation of the minister saying they need to be in hotel CBDs. That's Mr. Hunt, the health minister, because they need to be near, you know, significant health resources. Well, has the minister ever heard of ambulances? I mean, people who live in Rye and Rosebuck, you know, near Point Nepean, where the original uh, Melbourne quarantine centre was, when Victorian Colin in the 19th, late 19th century, well, there are ambulances which can take people to major hospitals. It's a half an hour to arrive at Frankston Hospital. Maybe 40 minutes to arrive at Monash Medical Centre. It's the same all over the country. The same all over the country. And there are helicopters the Alfred Hospital has a helicopter pad and many hospitals have helicopter pads from some of the major hospitals. So don't tell me that a quarantine facility needs to be kept in a privately owned, privately run hotel in the city's CBD. If there is one way, the worst way of dealing with quarantine is to do it in that way. Extraordinary. In the 21st century, in 2021, 15 months after the outbreak of COVID-19, we continue as a society to argue about the need of specific quarantine centres. And although over the last few days there's been a little bit of a kerfuffle over it, I mean, some of the state premiers have realised that quarantine is a Commonwealth responsibility and that maybe it should be done outside the CBD. We will still continue on this track. Extraordinary. Just extraordinary. That's the joy of living in Morrison land. Now if I, um, let's move on. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano, I'm hosting this program. Yes, this program is broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network in every state In every territory in this country It's streaming live on 3cr.org.au That's right Streaming live on 3cr.org.au The program is podcast You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au And in many other ways Which are too numerous to mention Just put Anarchist Will this week On your social media engine Presto It'll tell you all the places you can hear it So Now If I now let's, let's look at this. Now, I've got nothing against people's religious opinions, okay? I mean, the only thing I, I can't stand is people trying to force their religion onto me, and especially by using legislation to force their religious beliefs onto me, and you know, there are many theocracies around the world today where, you know, if you open your mouth against, you know, some religious ideology, you can find yourself in prison or even executed, alright? And we haven't got to that stage in this country because theoretically there's a division between state And church or state and religion, theoretically, although we know that the Commonwealth Government pumps billions of dollars into religious-based schools of all types of denominations. We know that, all right? So there isn't that clear-cut division between the state and the church or the state and religion. And if I went to a bushfire-affected area or a disaster-affected area and I started hugging people, you know, I'm not telling them that I'm laying on the hands trying to get, you know, the deities to look after their welfare and look after them. Not the government of the day, but the deities. It's always good to get the gods to look after the disasters. You never want to waste any money looking after disasters, but you know, I've, I've exaggerated in there, but that's the way it is. I'd be guilty of assault. And in certain cases it could be sexual assault if I held them too, too tightly. You know? Really. Come on, Mr Prime Minister. I hope you were joking when you were talking to your religious mates. That, you know, you go to, you go to disaster areas and you hold people and you're laying on the hands. Oh, come on, come on. I can't believe this. Look, I can't believe it. I think it's a joke. But I mean, fine, you know. At least ask permission. I mean, there's, in this day of people's reactions to sexual assaults, Come on, you need to ask permission if you don't know somebody. You ask permission, can I hug you? Can I lay my hands on you? But again, you know, we're not all on the same page, are we? We don't all beat to the same drumbeat as that uh, senior uh, bureaucrat will tell you. The drumbeat's a war upon us. Well, I hope he and his children will volunteer to fight that war because for far too long... The uh, children of the rich and powerful have stayed home with their feet up And the the children of everybody else are the ones that have been sacrificed On the killing fields for the glory of God, King or Queen and Country Ugly, ugly Now, grim winter Grim winter Winter's almost upon us What is it, another few weeks and we'll have winter And obviously people living in Queensland don't experience the same winter as we do here, although they've got floods and cyclones to deal with, so they've got their own issues. So, grim winter. Why am I using the word grim winter? If you know anything about history and human human history, you'll notice that winter was a great equaliser, especially for the poor and the marginalised, a great equaliser. In the good old days, I remember that, the good old days, pneumonia was considered to be the elderly's friend. It worked its way through the community, getting rid of all those people that have gone beyond their productive, you know, use by date. Today, obviously, with antibiotics and ventilation and treatment and vaccination, winter isn't such a grim proposition for a lot of people. But it is a grim proposition for an increasing number of people in this country. With the removal of the COVID-19 supplement and the removal of Job Keeper, we now have a situation where many people who are able to survive because there was a moratorium on the repayment of rent, whether it's on business premises or, or their own homes or mortgages, are now being asked to pay back that money let's not forget that when business was closed down when you lost your job if you weren't entitled to job keeper or job seeker you are in a difficult situation and many people found themselves in this situation and let's not forget that if you were able to strike an agreement to pay a reduced rent or no rent during that period that money must be repaid and I'll repeat it again must be repaid And the government using a hard line On people who are not working Trying to force them back to poorly paid Part time, insecure work Through pain, starvation, social security benefits We now have the situation The perfect situation that With winter coming along that more and more people will find themselves in very precarious situations as far as a roof over their heads is concerned. And I'm just talking about people who are unemployed, but I'm talking about people who may be in poorly paid jobs, I'm talking about people who may find they're going to be turfed out of their homes because they can't you know, strike a deal about repaying their mortgage, paying their rent, and you hear stories every day. And you can see that the private charity sector is gearing up for an influx of people asking for assistance during this period now nothing highlights the importance of public housing more than the situation we are about to face now regular listeners to the anarchist Wall this week know that I'm a great supporter of public housing I'll tell you I'm a great supporter of public housing not because I'm homeless no, because in the work I do, and for the last 40 years, 40 plus years, I'll be looking after some of the most disabled people in the community. It was the fact that they were able to secure, secure, affordable public housing that allowed them, their partners, and their children to lead a decent life. Now, public housing was first introduced into this country for one very good reason. At the end of World War II, and I wasn't here at the end of World War Two. I was here a few years later, there are pictures of returned servicemen and women living in tents in the Melbourne MCG, in the Botanical Gardens and around this country in various spots near the city's CBDs because there was not enough accommodation for returned servicemen and women although over 50,000 had died overseas and people who had come back had put their lives at risk fighting fascism and dictatorship did demand to have a roof over their heads and the impetus grew for public housing and the first the whole purpose of public housing was to ensure that people who were not able to afford to enter the private housing market had the ability to access secure, safe housing for a minimum cost. That's 25% of their income. We're not just talking about people who are homeless, people who are marginalised, people who've got nowhere to go. We were talking about people who didn't want to rent in the private rental market who the state provided housing for. And at one stage, over 15% of Victorians were living in public housing. Today, in 2021, Victoria, which is the state I'm familiar with, has the slowest public housing units in Australia. Less than 2% of Victorians now live in public housing, although over 40% are renting. Another 30% are paying mortgages. So public housing has always been a significant way of ensuring that people can survive a grim winter. What we've seen with successive Liberal and now Labor governments in in Victoria, we have seen a concerted effort, that's right, a concerted effort to privatise public housing and why the way this has been done is quite interesting it's been done in two ways it's been done through the development of private public partnerships which is a fancy way of saying that public land or public space is given to private developers for nothing the private developers develop that space and then provide maybe 10% of the accommodation for social housing, or affordable housing, or community housing. And although it sounds really nice, social housing, affordable housing, community housing, the reality is these are privately run organisations which now control the so-called public housing market. We've got the ridiculous situation of their waiting list has now been combined with the public housing waiting list. And so we are seeing the destruction, the privatisation through stealth of the public housing sector by successive Labor governments who continue to play games. Now, I remember at the last state election in Victoria, we were able to, you know, little people like us were able to place such significant pressure on the state Labor government. They promised to build another thousand public housing units. Guess what? Almost two and three quarters of years later, they haven't started building one. All they have done during the COVID-19 crisis is use that crisis as a screen via which they've continued to privatise public housing. And the tragedy is the usual suspects are not standing up with the very few people who are now standing up for public housing. The usual suspects... The religious based organisation, the private charities, seeing the greenbacks in front of them, seeing the possibilities of expanding their empire through the extension of social, community, and affordable housing, have now sided 100% with the state government, putting out their hands, waiting for titles, waiting to manage uh, various estates in order to build their empires. It's a tragedy. It's a tragic of biblical proportions and it's a tragedy which will be highlighted as all the resources which were put into dealing with people who are in a housing crisis are pulled out from under them. So, in response to this and because the COVID-19 crisis is manageable currently, public housing, everybody's business, and to and extent public housing, has decided to reinstitute Our weekly vigils on the steps of the Parliament House Now if you want to find out more about this Go to Public Housing Everybody's Business Or Facebook page Or um, Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page Or Public Interests Before Corporate Interests Or Pipsy.net page It's all there So our first event will be And don't fall off your seat because what we're going to do is we want to hold evening events, midday events so we can get people who are working to join us and people who are not working can come on the midday events. Our first event will be, our first vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House will in May will be on Tuesday the 4th of May. That's Tuesday the 4th of May. 7.30pm to 8.30pm That's 7.30pm to 8.30pm That's Tuesday the 4th of May The week after on the 17th of May It'll be from Monday to 1pm on Thursday the 13th of May And we'll continue this for a few months And see whether we can re reactivate Resistance to the privatisation of public housing It's quite interesting that the uh, Greens dominated Yarra Council have now been snubbed by Victorian state government because they demanded that public housing be built in Yarra, not, you know, affordable housing or community housing or social housing, privately owned housing. And the government has now refused to provide the resources to build housing in that particular municipality in Melbourne. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the community radio network. Now, the last 10 minutes or so, I'm going to delve into a bit of a history lesson I'm going to extend you an invitation that's right, an invitation now the history of May Day which is falling this Saturday, the 1st of May the history of May Day in Melbourne and the history of May Day in Australia to a significant degree is interlinked with the history of the anarchist movement in in 1884, the Federated Organised Trade Unions, the United States and Canada, called on the world, that's right, called on the world, for the 1st of May, 1886, to be a day of international struggle for the eight-hour day. On the 1st of May, 1886, all across the United States and Canada, there were strikes and demonstrations in Chicago, a number of workers were shot dead by private security agencies belonging to the Pinkerton Detective Agency, which was uh, used by the steel mills there to provide security because they were involved in a protest outside the factory. On the 3rd of May, 1886, uh, the Chicago anarchists organised a small gathering a protest meeting, peaceful protest meeting. At the end of the meeting, there's only about 200 people left. Somebody threw a bomb into the crowd. The uh, police panicked, opened fire. Seven police were killed, four demonstrators were killed. Eight prominent anarchists were rounded up. That's right, rounded up and charged with conspiracy. Although only three of the eight had been at the demonstration. They were duly tried. They were all found guilty. Five were sentenced to death. I was it six? Were sentenced to death. Four were executed. Two two were uh, death sentences were commuted, and one committed suicide on the night before he was hung. Now some of the names. You won't be familiar with, but uh, if you look it up on your search engine, think people like Samuel Fielding, A- Albert Parsons, Lewis Sling, Adolf Fisher, George Engel, August Spies, etc. Now, guess what? Five years later, or six years later, in 1893, the governor of Illinois pardoned all of them. That's right, pardoned them all. Because none of them should have been arrested, let alone executed. Now in Australia, a number of activists who had been members of the Australasian Secular Association formed The Melbourne Anarchist Club on the 1st of May 1886. This was the first anarchist organisation which was formed in Australia. They included names like David Andre, William Andre, Chummy Fleming, Jack Andrews, Monty Miller and a few others whose names have been forgotten. And they created the Melbourne Anarchist Club on the 1st of May, 1886, as a response to the call of the Federated Trade Unions of the United States and Canada to mark the 1st of May as a day of international protests for the eight-hour day. In 1891, at the Second International, I think it was in Paris, a delegate from Australian Trade Union movement from Sydney, Mr Norton, attended that Congress and that Congress marked the 1st of May as a day of international protest. Not the 2nd of May, not the first Sunday after, but the 1st of May. International protest for workers' rights, the eight-hour day. International protests. In 1891, the first May Day celebration was held March was held in this country in Barcaldon at the middle of the Shearer strike. Over a 1,000 people, 600 on horseback, were involved in that May Day celebration. And there are accounts of the Eureka flag flying during the celebrations. In 1892, Chummy Fleming, a well-known Melbourne anarchist, who died in 1950, but in 1852, he led the struggle to create an eight-hour eight hour, uh, May Day march. And over 5,000 people attended that first May Day march in 1892. Now, in 1890 and 1891, we'd seen private gatherings in the offices of Dr Maloney, who was a uh, State Member of Parliament at that stage. Now, Chummy Fleming and the anarchist movement were interlinked with the creation of May Day in this country. And Chummy Fleming has got a very colourful history, who uh, died in 1950, led the May Day marches until he died. Now, when the communists took over the May Day, the organisation of the May Day marches in the 30s, and he was persona non non gratis, he used to to start ahead of the march about half an hour till they caught up with him. But there are many anarchists involved in May Day in Melbourne. So it's an interesting day for anarchists So this May Day, that's the 1st of May, this Saturday I'm going to repeat a walking tour which I organised in 2018 We're going to add a few extra dimensions to it Um, I'm encouraging you to come and join me in Chummy Lane The only little street named after an anarchist in Melbourne, if not Australia do you want to know where Chummy Lane is? It's very simple. It's at the corner of Argyle Place and Ligon Street. It's behind the 7-Eleven there. We'll start there and then we'll go to about seven or eight significant anarchist sites. Because during the 1880s and the 1890s, the anarchist movement was the strongest radical movement in Melbourne, if not Australia. And there are many, many important sites which we have forgotten. There are many names we have forgotten. People like Rosa uh, Stone, who uh, initiated the Bootmakers Machinists Union in the 1890s. People like uh, Jack Andrews, who was considered to be the Kropotkin of the Southern Hemisphere. Chummy Fleming. David Andre, one of the most forward-thinking activists Australia's ever had who in 1888 uh, had a uh, radical bookshop and vegetarian restaurant running in Russell Street, who was against white racism, was for female emancipation, uh, was for the environment and animal rights, you know, things which are not taken up by the Labor movement or anybody for over a century. I mean, so it's a rich history. So if you want to learn more about it, join me, Chummy Place, this Saturday, 11 a.m., we start at 11am sharp. Uh, you know, if you don't get there at 11am, you'll just have to find us, but we'll go to a number of significant sites. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program is podcast. Go to 3cr.org.au. and go to anarchismedia.org, anarchismedia.org, pipsy.net. Facebook, Instagram, public interest before corporate interest YouTube, public interest before corporate Look, there's just so many things You can always leave a message on 0439 395 489 And you can always write to Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 But remember, if you don't get out of that couch Nothing will ever change for you or your friends Listen in to The Anarchist World this week, next week Via the Community Radio Network on your local Community Radio station. Minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death, construction in the fields of bodies burning as the war machine keeps turning. it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need to end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory. Because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality and a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377.